Hi, this is Doug Bradley welcoming you to the Hellraiser podcast. And you'd better keep listening to the Hellraiser podcast or I will tear your soul apart. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Hellraiser podcast. I'm Peter, this is Phil. Hello everyone. Hi there. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about Hellraiser Bloodline and the original script versus the finished movie. But I've got a couple of things I want to mention just before we get into that. And the first one is a little bit of feedback that we didn't actually have time to talk about last podcast on our feedback podcast. So I just want to mention it now. It's from a guy called Harvey Ran, And he says, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the original ending to Freddy vs. Jason was going to be Pinhead saying to them, both in hell, gentlemen, what seems to be the problem? Not sure if it's just a rumour, but apparently they couldn't get the rights to Pinhead. Now, have you heard about this before, Phil? Yeah. Right, OK. Because <laughs> I hadn't until I read this email. And I thought that's a really interesting thing to do, because I really like Freddy vs. Jason. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. And if to see Pinhead popping up at the end would have been sort of the icing on the cake. Yeah, when it was... Because um, it was rumoured to be coming out for ages, wasn't it? And they couldn't get it made, and yeah. it took ages and ages for them to make it. And I remember hearing them saying they were going to get Pinhead in it. <laughs> it never happened, yeah. Do you think a Freddy vs. Jason versus Pinhead film would work? Well, I think, actually, no, because <laughs> I think the thing is, as we've said before, well, I've said before, certainly, about Pinhead, is he d- I don't think he works very much in action sequences because he's very yeah. slow and he just kind of appears in places and then disappears. And the more you do that, the more sort of silly I think it looks, whereas Freddy and Jason are a bit more kind of like, they more, can get about the place action-y. a bit more. Yeah, you know? they can move. Um, but surely Hellraiser 3 is one of the greatest action <laughs> horror films ever made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. I think there's there's some scope to have him in a crossover film, but um, I'm not oh, sure yeah. if a big fighting movie like Freddy vs. Jason is the right way to go. Well, the thing is, the way that Freddy tricked Jason into believing that he was his mother... And yeah. saying that's the more the thing that I think Pinhead could do, like mm-hmm. something cerebral, something like yeah. he was manipulating both of them somehow. That could work quite Cause well. Because Pinhead is very much a conversationalist, and you can't really see him having a chat with Jason. <laughs> no. Or Freddy, because he'd just be making wisecracks. It would be great, though, because he could do a huge monologue, and Jason would just stand there going... Cocking oh, his head. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. But uh, thank you, Harvey, for that bringing that to my attention, even though Phil knew about it already, but I didn't. So thank you for that. And a couple of other things I want to say before we get going properly. One of them is you might know or have heard about this new cut of Nightbreed that's supposed to be coming out, the Cabal cut of Nightbreed, which is a new cut of Nightbreed using footage from a work print that's been discovered. Now, if you want to get involved in trying to get this out there, there is something you can do. It's a movement called Occupy Midian, you can find that at OccupyMidian.com <laughs> and there's a petition you can sign and just go on that and, and do that because it's, it's a really good thing that's doing the round at the moment. Uh, it's on Twitter as well, at OccupyMidian and just go and sign the petition and we'll try and get Morgan Creek to release the movie with the new bits in it, hopefully in some kind of a DVD spectacular. Well, it's a good thing to do purely as a way of registering your interest so the studio can go, hey, wait a minute, people yeah. really like this still. Even if we're not going to release that, maybe we'll do another Nightbreed, you know. I agree. So, yeah, Occupy Midian. Go for it. Mm. And finally, one other thing I just want to say. I mentioned in the last podcast about not liking factual inaccuracy. And in the same podcast, I said something that was factually inaccurate. So I just want to bring up that now. I mentioned the trailer that we talked about uh, in our last in the feedback podcast with the original British accent in it. Um, I was really excited it was on the Blu-ray disc, but I've since discovered it's actually on the US Region 1 DVD, the 20th anniversary DVD, which I picked up recently, and it's on there as well. It's known as the International Trailer on that. And I also said that it was uh, Sean Chapman's voice doing Frank, but after listening to it again, I don't think it is Sean Chapman after all. I think that it's Oliver Smith who played Frank the Monster, which makes far more sense because it was actually him doing the lines. Right, so now let's crack on with our conversation about Hellraiser Bloodline. So we've been on Cenobite.com and had a look at the original script, the original screenplay that was written for the film, and then Phil and I have just sat down and watched Bloodline again with a notepad and made notes comparing the two, so we're going to talk through some of those now. So first of all, how was that for you, Phil, just now watching the film again and making copious (laughs) notes about the 
the script. <laughs> it was really interesting because I, I obviously, you know, we're both very interested in script writing and it was really interesting to see the way that it's changed. Mm. I think for the most part, they oversimplified everything in the film and did a lot of things to make it cheaper. Yeah, I think so. And I do say I I like the script a lot better yeah. than Bloodline, the film. No, I do as well. I think it's it's a pretty solid script. Has a couple of of dodgy lines that actually didn't make it into the film, which is is a good thing. But uh, in general, it's a pretty solid script, and I think it's a good story. Yeah. So let's begin now. The first major difference is, as you probably know already, and we're going to probably repeat things that we've said in the Bloodline podcast. Apologies if we do that, but for those who don't know, the original script does not start in space. The studio put the space bit at the beginning because they wanted Pinhead to be in the film earlier, which is weird because they would have known looking at the script that he was not going to be in it till, you know, two thirds or a third of the way into it anyway. Mm. But still, they looked at the work print or the dailies or whatever and they decided, hmm, we need him earlier. So let's create a bookend where it starts in space and then the rest of it is a flashback. Yeah, I'm I'm normally in favour of things like this. I like it when things go out of different time zones and, and come back to them and stuff like that. Mm. But in this, I just think it ruins it a bit because you're putting all your cards straight there and yeah. it just shows a lack of confidence in the audience. I mean, in the film, as soon as the film begins, there's a flash frame of Pinhead's face. Well, before the credits. Before, before the credits. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're going... Don't worry, guys. He'll be in it. He'll be in it. Look, and I'm look like, it's Pinhead. Look, look. It's okay. I don't mind waiting till the middle of the film to see him. Yeah, because... I can use my brain. Well, he's on the box. And <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a Hellraiser film. I know he's going to be in it. It's okay. But yeah, so there, I think a lot of the decisions are really based on them thinking that the audience are a lot stupider than we are. Yeah. So the original script starts with... A pair of human hands creating what is to become the puzzle box. Close-ups of him putting little cogs and machinery on things and a human eye grotesquely expanded through a magnifying glass, things like that. And I guess this was over the credits, would have been. And it finishes with him creating a box. It's it's Philip Le Merchant, as we'll get to in the flashback in the movie. But it starts with him finishing this box. As a superimposed title, The Outskirts of Paris, 1784. Mm-hmm. So that's what it, that's where it's set. So this is basically the same bit as it is in the film, just in a different order. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And it's the it's the bit it's the first time you see him in the in the movie when his wife says, Is it done? And he's like, Yep, there we go. And then she has a look at it and says, Doesn't really do anything, does it? Mm. And he says, Shut up, it's good. So that's the same. Mm-hmm. And then he says he was working to a commission for the Duke de Lille, which is the same, and then he goes to the house to present the box. And here's where it gets a bit different. Yeah, because in the script, she she doesn't say, I'm pregnant at this point. Oh, yeah, that too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in in the film, they mention, well, he mentions, you know, that they've got a child on the way, and that becomes important later on, whereas in the script, that actually comes into a bit later. Mm Mm-hmm. So he goes to the, the chateau. Yeah. An interesting thing here is in the script, he says, I've got to go because it's the appointed hour. Mm. And she's like, the appointed hour? Midnight? Oh, God. Aristocrats. Mm. They're and so weird. That's that's cool because in the film, it's just like he has to go out even though it's the middle of the night because he just finished it. Yeah. I mean, this is a good example of a lot of the, the subtleties in the script because mm. in the in the scene in the script... She says, oh, it doesn't do anything. And he's like, oh, you, you wouldn't understand it, you know. But it's kind of comes across a little bit more of affectionate. Whereas in the film, he's like, you wouldn't understand. I'm going to the chateau right now because yeah. you don't appreciate my work. And he kind of strops off. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's a little bit too simple. So now there's a huge difference in story. Because when he gets to the chateau in the film, he turns up, gives the box to the Duke. And then the door's shut on him and, he's, and he goes off and then he starts looking through the window. Mm-hmm. In the original script, he's invited in and he meets Angelique. Yeah, and it's important to say that in the film, the monologue in the space bit at the beginning that he gives yeah. is really like, it tells you everything. It says, yeah. my family did this, there were dark forces about, I mm-hmm. had to stop it, and this is my oh, story. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there was black magic, let's look at this now. So when he goes to the chateau, you're completely going, all right, well, obviously, this is going to be really bad. And before he even gets there, you see the Duke and Jacques 
kill uh, Angelique. Yeah, so you know there's something bad going on. Whereas in the script, it's much subtler. Yeah, at this point, you're kind of like, ooh, I wonder why he's having to go out there at midnight and mm. um, this is interesting. And he gets this place and it all seems a bit... Mm, there's these um, people playing cards, eight card players. So, And Angelique is referred to as the Princess Angelique. Mm-hmm. And he, she's introduced to Philip Lemercian. Before we get to the card players, they have a little chat and he thinks that she's, you know, being flirty with him, but then she just dismisses him and says, pay, pay him, and let's go. Let's come on, let's, let's do this. And so Lemercian gets sort of shunted out of the chateau and then starts looking through the window. Yeah. So that's the same in from the original script to the film, the fact that he looks through the window and sees something. Well, the, and there's another subtlety here. I mean, you, that, that bit that you just pointed out, where he's really enchanted by Angelique and he's yeah. very much like taken by her. Yeah. And then she says, you know, pay him, goes away. And uh, Delisle says to him, never mistake your superior's politeness for affection, Toymaker, and never forget your place. Mm. So that really sets up that he is on the bottom rung of society oh, yeah. and yeah. he really wants to get a bit more into this. You know, he really wants a bit more power, fame, yeah. fortune. So now the big difference is what he sees through the window. In the film, as I'm sure you're aware, he sees them creating this demon, summoning a demon from hell to fill the skin they've just pulled off this girl. Yeah, they've killed her before he gets there, and yeah. then they put the hang the skin up. Yeah, summoning her up using the box because they've had they've waited to get the box from Le Marchand, and also using Latin invocations and things like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the script the original script angelique the demon has already been summoned before we meet her Mm. she is the when he says the princess angelique this is the demon that has been summoned but she was summoned not using the box at all she was summoned just using a pentagram and black magic basically yeah so that will play in a little bit later but for the moment she's been summoned that way which is different to the and and also it's it's a secret it's a twist you don't know she's a demon yet yeah until this card game, which you mentioned, which is these eight gamblers, and they're playing cards, and they're sort of gambling and doing all these different things, and then she says, I've got a game for you, and she puts this box on the table, and it passes round the table, and she basically says, anyone that can open a bit of this, or solve a little bit of it, I will take off an item of clothing, basically. Yeah, I mean, there's some really nice touches here in this scene, in the in the script, because yeah. like the guys are like, well, it's just a stupid childish box. Why, why would we bother with that? And she's like, well, it's beyond your skill. And she's like, well, I'll make it an interesting game, you know. So it's yeah. quite nice. It's quite a, a nice idea for a scene. I think. For every successful stripping of its secrets, I shall respond in kind. And they all get very excited about this because she's quite a lovely looking lady. And so it passes round these people who are just desperate to see her with no clothes on. And this also makes sense why Philippe would be looking in from outside because he's basically been shunned by this lovely lady and he's walking past the window and happens to see, look in and see her stripping, basically. So mm. he's hanging around in the bushes, <laughs> watching. As you would. As you would. Mm. <laughs> There's no TV back then. What else are you going to do? <laughs> so they're passing it around. They are opening it a bit at a time and she's taken off her clothes and because it's the 18th century, she's got quite a lot of clothes on. So it takes a while. And eventually, the last guy has the box in his hands. It flies out of his hand and starts to move itself, as we have seen Mm -hmm. in previous films. And she's just wearing a corset, and then she has to take it off. And then it says that her skin starts to ripple. Her flesh ripples. Her torso transforms, covered in a score of screaming mouths and demonic eyes that stare balefully out into the room. Whoa. Yeah, whoa indeed. Her eyes turn completely black. Which happens in the film. Which happens in the film, yeah. The movements on her chest culminate in a gaping wound that opens there. And the card players, the gamblers, they aren't very impressed with this. (laughs) They think it's a bit much. Yep, they're screaming. The entire room trembles. Yeah, hellish restraints shoot from their chairs (laughs) and trap them in place. Yep. And a large wrought iron candelabra from the ceiling moves into a new shape, its eight arms straightening out Viciously yeah. sharp and powerful lances. Now that's cool. And then it falls and embeds them into each of these players. Yeah. That's great. So this is a killing uh, Angelique style. Yeah, this is her, yeah. This she's, is her she's version of... Killing uh, them all. Hooks and chains. Absolutely, yeah. Using whatever's 
around. Yeah. So Philippe has seen all of this from outside. He knows that you know she's a horrible demon lady and that this box had something to do with it. He seems to think that the box turned her into a demon. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he doesn't know, does he? I mean, he knows he's seen hell. Yeah. And he runs. Mm-hmm. And a nice touch, a derelict with a handcart loaded with junk. He's all kind of like, sir, spices of the Orient and all this yeah, kind of thing yeah. as he sort of runs away. Yeah. And then there's a little scene with um, the Duke de Lille and Jacques, with the Duke de Lille saying, so, you see, I'm a great magician, Jacques. And Jacques's like, yeah, there is indeed great magic, <laughs> sir. <laughs> And then they, they refer to it as a game to the princess. It's like a diversion, isn't it? I mean, basically, I mean, what I get from it is Delil's called her up. Yeah. And she's providing him with his perverse pleasures. She's murdering people and doing mm-hmm. strange rituals. And they're having a really weird time up in this house. Yeah. That he's loving. Yeah. And it, and it becomes clear that the Duke summoned her and commands her. He says, you know, go to my room, wait for me there. And then says to Jack, he who summons the magic commands the magic. Remember that, Jack? And Jack's like, yeah, I remember. So, yeah, this one, it's clearly the Duke in charge. Absolutely. And she does say, actually, Angelique says here, which we'll play in again later, I found a rare talent in Le Marchand. Mm. Now, the the original scene with the gamblers, that was filmed, and you can find um, a rough version of it, a work print version on YouTube if you want to have a look for it. And so that was... I don't know why they took it out. I mean, there must have been a reason for it. They obviously didn't think it worked or they wanted something different. Mm. Yeah, we don't know. No, so, I mean, yeah, that's interesting. Because some of this stuff was filmed and then chopped out afterwards. In fact, I think most of it was filmed and then they, they changed around what happens and what happens when later. I mean, I think, as I said before, most of the decisions, it seems to me, have been made with the thing of simplicity that they just like this yeah. I need this to be simpler and we need it to be more direct and I more guess so. obvious to the audience because it's not giving the audience any credit <laughs> yeah and the fact of the matter is them summoning her and her arriving is much simpler than what happens in the script but much less interesting well I think there's more character and more tension in this sort of game of them solving the box and yeah it's good know, fun it's a good fun scene and, in, and her stripping off whereas in the <laughs> yeah that's a good scene that's <laughs> great but in the in the film you know it's a much more kind of like direct you know skin yeah. being filled by a monster man with reflective lights shining in his face <laughs> shouting Latin yeah Anyway, let's move on, because the next scene is the same in film and script, which is Le Marchand talking to his friend Auguste, which is the doctor doing the autopsy. And that's uh, that's the same, really, isn't it? Pretty it much, is. word for word. And it's, it's still it's a great good. scene that we both really like. really like this scene. So good. I mean, if you ever want a class in script writing, it's just yeah, like, it's look, true. it's brilliant. The character says the things that he would say, and it just works. But it gets the plot across. Yeah. And now it really changes a lot because it, the film is much, much simpler what happens now to what happens in the script. The script, an awful lot happens now and hardly any of it is in the finished film. Mm. So just to remind you, what happens in the film now is Philippe decides he's, he has to go and steal the box back to create a version of it that can close the door to hell or just to stop them opening it again. So he goes back to the chateau to steal it. He finds the Duke de Lille dead in a chair, or he thinks is dead, but gets grabbed by him. Mm-hmm. And then there's Jacques and Angelique. Jacques is controlling her, tells Angelique to kill him. She is supposed to, but then we find that she hasn't because his wife turns up mm-hmm. and sees him. And he's about to die. Yeah. And he says, go on, get out of here. Yeah. And that's basically it for the film, isn't it? Really? Yeah. She, he says, get out of here. You've got to save my yeah, our bloodline. Son, the bloodline. <laughs> and she runs off. Yeah. In the script... In the script, an awful lot more happens. First of all, Angelique goes to visit Philippe at his house. Mm. And this is a great little scene where the wife is sort of locked out of this room while they have a little chat. And she's not happy about that at all. And Angelique, basically, she's coming onto him and seducing him, but also hypnotising him in the same Yeah, I love it, how she sneakily locks the door. Like, he says, can you go to his wife? And then she cheekily locks the door Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, seduces him. And and the way it's written in the script is really good. You know, it's really kind of like a mixture between his actual desire for her as a woman versus 
hypnotism, mm. you know, magic, that kind of thing. And you can really see a relationship developing between the two of them. Absolutely. And she says we can do good things together. There's a masked ball tonight at the Chateau. Come to that. Yeah. And she's saying basically, come there and that's your future set. Yeah, we've got work for you. And yeah. Mm-hmm. A lovely bit as well when she leaves and Genevieve, his wife, has been there mm. and they both have this look. Yeah. You know, between two women where one of them's like, get away from my husband and the other one's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we're back to Le Marchand talking to Auguste again, who isn't in the film, apart from that one little scene. He's in the script a lot more, the original script. And they have a chat, and he basically tells Auguste that he's going to go and, and do this thing. And Auguste says, you know, I've heard the disappearance of these eight gamblers. And Le Marchand says, I thought you didn't believe in this. And he's like, well, I didn't, but, you know. And he says, I'm an atheist, not an idiot. Evil is real, whether it wears horns and shakes a trident or flutters its eyelashes and turns the heads of poor craftsmen. Which is another great line. Yeah. <laughs> it's another great scene. I love this character. Yeah. <laughs> it just he works great. so well. He's really well written. So Auguste then decides to go to the chateau to see if he can work out what's going on. And now there's a huge scene, which I... Now, this one I don't know if it was filmed or not, because I've not seen any footage of it. Well, I mean, this one out of all of them would cost... Yeah, this is one they... Yeah. Basically, he comes across what is essentially Angelique's Cenobites, which are... They're basically clowns. They're a troop of clowns. Yeah, Commedia dell'arte type... Yeah. Acrobat performers type. Absolutely. And the leader, the lead Cenobite of these clown Cenobites, is known as the Surgeon, and he's the one who talks to Auguste and basically pretends they're just comedians and having fun... And they're here, you know, travelling players sort of thing. And they play with him a bit, and then basically they end up killing him. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, They chase him around, they turn into sort of demon clowns, and then a huge... It was... (laughs) It's described in the script as that a huge maw of hell opens up. An impossible tunnel open between dimensions, circular, ribbed and pulsing. It resembles a giant esophagus. The mouth entrance is a blur of terrifying activity. Hundreds of long, sharp objects rotate wildly like the blades of some vast organic threshing machine. <laughs> <laughs> now, this um, th- this might not have been done terribly well had they done it in 96. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but it's um, quite interesting in the script. Brilliant idea. I love it. I mean, again, we'll talk about this later, but mm. the, the the rivalry between Angelique and Pinhead and the changeover in Hell. Oh, yeah, we'll get be, to that. It yeah. would, but it would be brilliant to see this because it's good to see the way that Angelique ran things yeah, when she was kind of in charge of Hell. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I would love to see her Cenobites doing their thing. Mm. So Auguste is pulled into this huge moor of Hell and then we cut back to Le Marchand, who goes to the the chateau to claim his future, basically, is what he says. But just before he leaves, Genevieve's not happy and she thinks he's going to have an affair, basically. And that's when, in the script, this is when she tells him that she's pregnant. Yeah. And so he then says, he's really chuffed with the news, and he says, even more reason why I should go. My son will be born in a palace, built by the fortune I go to claim tonight. And so that's why he goes. I, I prefer that. I prefer the reveal yeah, of it no, happening I, there. Yeah, I do as well. Because I, I think you've got to know the characters a bit more and it raises the stakes up at this point, whereas in, in the film you kind of get that straight away. Well, in the film it's a bit like we've just met these two people and it's very much like, yes, and you are pregnant, my wife. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's a, <laughs> yeah. Bit, it's a bit better here, I think. So he goes to this masked ball where all these people wearing masks, funnily enough, as mm. it's a masked ball, and they're all grotesque masks. And he meets Angelique... And they do end up having a little kiss at this point, which is a bit naughty. But as we said, it is more sort of hypnotism than just her being a sexy lady. Well, I mean, it seems like this whole film centres on this relationship between the two of them. Yeah. You know, and I like that, that he's constantly kind of feeling a bit guilty about it. It's like, is it Mm. me? Is it her doing it? Am I wanting this or not? Absolutely. And that's not in the finished film at all, is it? Well, I think they have a go at it, but not really. Not, not in the past section. No, not in the past section, And no. that's where this all revolves around from their relationship in the past, in the 1700s. And they don't even do anything together in the, in the finished film. No. But at this party, he comes across Delisle, who explains that the box was designed to replace the pagan 
you know, pentagram and Latin verses to summon hell. Yeah, so he's not happy about this because basically he's a sorcerer. Yeah. And that is this is how he calls up demons and so on. Absolutely. And basically what it is is that Angelique has got the Marchand to make this box. Yeah. And she's kind of tricked Delisle because he thought, ooh, I wonder what this game's going to be. Yeah. And it's actually a really easy way of opening the portal to hell. And he's like, you're putting me out of business. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to retire. <laughs> so he then tries to kill Le Marchand. He does. He says he's going to send her back to hell once he's killed Le Marchand. But then he's grabbed by Angelique, who then says the line, which is in the, the finished film, uh, a summon demon is yours to command unless you stand in hell's way. And hell needs this man. And so she throws him across the room through a window and thinks he's dead for now. She's not very good at finishing people off, is she, (laughs) in the script or the film? No. And then he sort of stumbles back into the pentagram and it implies that she can't get to him then. Le Marchand goes into the pentagram. Le Marchand, sorry. Le Marchand stumbles back into the pentagram and it implies she can't get to him because he's safe in that. Yeah. And actually, when he's in the pentagram Mm. in the script... He sort of comes to his senses a bit, and oh, she's yeah, sort of true, saying, yeah. come on, my love, and come to me, and he's kind of like, I think not. No. But just when we think he's safe, unfortunately, she summons, which are possibly Cenobites, it's referred, referred to as zombie gamblers. They're the, the gamblers from earlier on, and they've been turned into kind of zombie Cenobites, and she basically sets them on Le Marchion, and they get him. Yeah, and there's a really good image here. The clowns come back. And they're playing music, and one of them's got a drum. Yeah, yeah. And it's got the it's the stretched skin and face of his mate. Oh uh, yeah, August. August. Yeah, <laughs> that's horrible. Meanwhile, Genevieve, the wife, has come along to the house, and this is again. This goes back to the you know back to the film. She comes to the house, and there's Philippe, and he's been attacked, and he's dying. Mm-hmm. And he says, "Get out of here." Yeah. Save the child, mm-hmm. etc. And then she's having a an argument. Genevieve's having an argument with Angelique. And then Delisle grabs Angelique, pulls her back into the pentagram, says some Latin, and they disappear. And they, they go back to hell. Yeah. And the, the key thing there is that Angelique wants to kill Genevieve because she wants the bloodline ended. She wants to yeah, kill the bloodline so that he'll never, the bloodline will never be able to remember and create a portal to close hell. Yeah. So they've gone. They've completely gone back to hell. And Genevieve is, is going to say happy. She's not happy because her <laughs> husband has been killed. But she runs off and she runs off to start a new life in America. And she gives the box to the derelict that she stumbles across outside. Yeah, which I really like because I think that's a really nice callback to yeah. the derelicts in the other Hellraiser films who kind of have these weird things and mm. give them to people. <laughs> but hang on, you might be saying, how can Angelique be sent back to hell? Because she's in the, the next bit. Well, what happens now? Just before we get to the present day section, Jacques turns up and summons her back using the pentagram. Yeah, in the traditional style. Yeah, and so now she turns up and she is his to command. As long as he doesn't stand in Helen's way, of course. Of course. But that is why she is doing what Jacques tells her to. And I really like this in the script because it's like she turns up and he's like, hello, I've summoned you. And she's yeah. like, oh, no. Yeah, she is. Not you. Oh, no. <laughs> and in the film, the finished film, there isn't. it doesn't really explain why she does what Jacques says all of a sudden. Yeah, it's almost really. like I think she just kind of goes from who's going to be the most used to her. So yeah, it's like but Delil. I mean, he does. He can command her, though. It's almost like Delil, in the film, Delil and Jacques summoned her together. So I guess they can both command her. But then... They killed Delisle, and so it's just Jacques telling her what to do. I yeah. guess that's what they're trying to say in that. I mean, yeah, 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 right, definitely. And in the film, I like the fact that Jacques betrays Delisle, but I like it better in the script because yeah. I like the fact that Angelique is really not happy to be stuck with Jacques. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Because I wouldn't be happy to be stuck with Jacques either. <laughs> no. He's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast downloaded it we came so then we move into the modern day section so the the script is just told in chronological order there's the past there's present and the future which i think is much better yeah which i do as well so in the film there's now it goes back to the future for a moment to sort of bridge the gap between the past and the present 
but the script goes straight into the present day. <laughs> I love that in the film how they think it's it's a good idea to keep us interested by bridging these different time periods with a scene that looks like it's set in the worst job interview ever. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like a guy sitting in a grey room talking to a woman really depressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's supposed to be hurrying along because he's just some of these demons like, in a cage I'm in a spaceship. Tell you my story. Uh, anyway. Back to the present day section. The beginning of this is quite similar. The great, the difference is, the scenes between Angelique and Jacques are much better in the script. They're really good. He's just this horrible, horrible man making a do anything he wants. He says things like, shut up, do the dishes. And then puts a cigarette in his mouth and says, light me. And then he says, good, now get down on your hands and knees and ask me to hurt you. And ask nicely. <laughs> I love that. I think that's really It's good. really horrible. It is. And she and she says, You know what I hate you know what I hate most about you, Master. Yeah. You know, it's like they've been the odd couple for two hundred years. That is funny. You know, and she's stuck with him. And he's eating as well. A greasy meal, it says. Yeah, she says, Do you know what I loathe about you most? And he says while he's eating, Do you know what I loathe about you most, Master? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And then it goes back to John Merchant and his wife, Bobby, um, talking uh, the same as in the film. But there is a new plot strand in the script here that we have and we don't get in the film at all about John's grandmother. And it basically implies that the merchant, you know, the Le Merchant merchant family has been passing down this idea that one day there'll be a boy or a man who can do this magical thing, which they don't really talk about. And there's sort of flashbacks to John's grandmother when he was a kid saying, it's you, you're the one that they've been waiting for. And that's really cool. I mean, that makes far more sense than in, in the film. They just say, you know, your blood remembers. And it's like, what? Absolutely. It really makes a lot more sense to have, you know, you might not believe your crazy grandmother when she's talking about this stuff. But if you have that idea mixed with the idea that your blood does remember... Yeah. It just makes a lot more sense. Absolutely. So then, just like in the film, Angelique says to Jacques, let's go to America. And he says no, so she kills him. But in a really interesting way in the script, he she basically ages him. So he's the age, you know, he should be. He's like 230 years old. So obviously he can't really cope with that. And he collapses on the floor like, like a long <laughs> a dead corpse. Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a great line in that scene as well. Another, they keep on coming, these great lines from Angelique and Jacques, where he's like, should we go on a trip? And he's like, we went on a trip to India. And she's like, that was in 1949. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Because she wants to go to America, obviously. Mm -hmm. He doesn't. It's good. And then we have the same scene as in the film where John is doing a speech and she turns up and he sees her and he sort of thinks, oh, I recognise her. And he has been dreaming about her. So he thinks, this is weird. She looks familiar. Yeah, in this scene... This is an example of something being written quite well, but I think in the film, just not yeah. carrying it off at all. Because in this scene, he's kind of surrounded by... He's in the room that's basically like a puzzle box. Mm. All the walls are like a puzzle box. And he's kind of being sort of dazzled by the lights glinting off them, yeah. you know, which is obviously some sort of reference to the, the power of the box. Mm. And seeing her and kind of being hypnotised by her whilst he's trying to get through this speech. Whereas in the film, he's sort of standing in this room, you know, with those weird little bits of cardboard moving about on the walls and um, <laughs> yeah. you know it's sort of lacking a lot of the impact and then just the same in the film and the script she gets this 40 year old guy called Sharp down into the basement to open the box for her and she finds the box in a pillar a concrete pillar which still doesn't really make much sense I mean it, it, she's sort of sniffing it out in the script and she does that a bit in the film as well but why is the box in a concrete pillar well, I mean, is it is it the box from the end of Hellraiser three? Yeah. Well, why would it be in a pillar? Well, because it surely it would be in the ground. She put it in like a tub of, you know, concrete pillar juice. Didn't <laughs> she? <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm no building. You know, I'm no architect, Peter. Right. Okay. If I was, there would be a lot more Hellraiser esque buildings around. <laughs> so somehow, this puzzle box that Joey put into the cement. At the end of Hellraiser of three, got made into a has pillar. worked its way up yeah. in a pillar, yeah. <laughs> and she now can sniff it out 
yeah. and she grabs it. I think uh, uh, it's key... something. Like, it's supposed to be like something like that, isn't it? Yeah, that's what it is. Okay, fine. But I, I think the the problem is that neither in the script or the film does do we have a moment that she goes, "Wait a minute, there's a box in this building, the box <laughs> that I've been looking for all this time, yeah, or the box that I remember." Um, she co she goes to the building specifically to get merchant, yeah. And then you don't really have a thing of her going, well, he's gone, but however, the box is here. So this doesn't make any sense in either version. No, I'm afraid not. <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. But she sniffs it out. Yeah. She gets poor old Sharp. fatty to open it. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yeah, I mean, that, I, again, this is, this is fun because it's like the first victim in the first film. Yeah. And I do like that. No, I do too. The acting's not as good. <laughs> in the no, film but. no but yeah, they're, they're having a go it's good and then Pinhead turns up yeah and this is where it all just gets a little bit confusing this is very much a case of a couple of lines have been missed out and because of that it doesn't make any sense yeah first of all there's the line in the film where he says hell is more ordered since your time princess and much less amusing and when he says that in the film it sounds like he's saying Things aren't as much fun as they were when you were there, honey. <laughs> Basically. But in the original script, she says, she looks at him and says, things seem to have changed. I was expecting my clowns. And then he says, hell is more order since your time, princess, and much less amusing. And it says his tone carries a hint of disapproval of its figure from hell's past. So that's why he says that line about it being less amusing. He's basically saying... Well, yeah, things aren't stupid anymore like they used to be with you and your stupid clowns. Yeah, basically, yeah, she used to run it and now he runs it. And yeah, she's but like, you don't Whoa. get that in the film. No, not at all. And then she shows him the room that looks like a puzzle box and she says to him, look, this guy made this, we need to get him and stop him. And Pinhead looks around and says, hang on a minute, this whole room we could turn into a lament configuration and open a gateway to hell. So in this scene, in the script, she's very much saying we have to kill Merchant as quickly as possible. Mm. And Pinhead is going, we need to use him to wake this room up. Yeah. We need to use this room as a portal to hell yeah, forever. A vast and permanent gateway to the fields of human flesh. So he's basically convinced Angelique now that they've got to get John on side. Yeah. So then there's the scene where she goes to visit him in his office. And that's kind of the same. It's sort of similar. Yeah. And she sees the thing on the wall and says, what's that? And he says, oh, that's from my ancestors. And she looks at it and realises that he's cre he can create this Elysian configuration. Mm -hmm. All the light. Yeah. And then in the script, there's this, there's this scene that isn't in the film. It was probably never, ever filmed. Back in the building, it's a completely, really random scene of a lady called Valerie Dyson, a uniformed security officer, basically just being killed. Yeah, she's walking about... <laughs> And she walks in on Pinhead and, and Angelique, Angelique talking. Yeah, which is pretty cool. It's kind of like, oh, sorry. <laughs> and then she's tormented by them, gets into a lift that goes down, down, down. And then when it gets to zero, it goes to minus one, minus two, minus three. And that's pretty cool. She basically ends up in hell. Yeah, doesn't it open and it's like the moor? <laughs> well, it opens and it's all fire. And the script fire says, like, void. well, we know where we are now. <laughs> and then the bottom of the lift falls out and she yeah. just falls into blackness. No, which is is really bizarre, and it's random, <laughs> very bizarre. But however, something that isn't in the script, which is in the film, is the scene where the two twins get turned into the twin Cenobite. The worst scene in the oh, film. Terrible, terrible. Um, so that was added to the movie, the, from the not in the script. Yeah. So you've got here, around this point, you've got some scenes that are basically being amalgamated together in the film. Like they've taken certain scenes, taken elements of them, and put them into other scenes in the film. So the twins getting turned yeah. into it. Yeah, there's a scene where you know. Pinhead is talking to Angelique in the script about how how they're going to get Merchant. And in the film, he's talking to the Chatterbeast with a dove in his hand. Yeah. And then there's the sort of sexy scene in the film where Pinhead has his hook and he puts his hook in between her breasts and she sort of goes... Mm. <laughs> um, that's not in the script. That's clearly not in the script. In the script, they don't like each other. Yeah, Pinhead basically. Pinhead and Anjali do not like each other. They don't get on. No. And it's the same thing in the script that he is saying 
she's saying, look, I can tempt him. I can coerce him into working with us. And he's saying the best way to tempt him is just to not do that, go for suffering. Yeah, absolutely. So then there's the bit, which is the same in the script and the film, where Pinhead basically says, we tried your way, no one tried my way. And he goes and kidnaps the boy and the wife and takes them away as live bait for John to turn up. Yeah. But just before that happens, in the original script, there's this little scene between Pinhead and Angelique where he's saying, I'm going to do this my way. And she sort of says, I will have Merchant and I will have hell, my hell. Yeah. So this is very much, I mean, in the film, you've got the sexy scene where he's saying, oh, look at you, you look like death. Mm. In the script, they're basically plotting against each other. Yeah. Which is very important for the end of the present day section. Absolutely, yeah. Which we'll yeah. get to in a moment. And it's clear, a lot clearer in the script. So they are basically working against each other, both trying to use John Merchant for their own gain. Absolutely. And then we get the um, the same thing where she's trying to tempt mm-hmm. him with well, erotic more than dreams. Tempt him, doesn't she? Yeah. In this, in the script, the original script, while Pinhead's kidnapping the family, Angelique and John get it on, don't they? They do. Yeah, he has a sexy dream about her earlier, but then they meet up and they do actually start having sex. Yeah. But then during it, she turns into a demon lady. <laughs> yeah, and it says in the script that it's like she she starts to really enjoy it. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's almost like she can't control herself. A bit like in uh, The Howling. Yeah. They're really having, they're having great sex and then turn into wolves. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like that. So she's enjoying it so much, she turns into a demon face. And he looks at her and goes, oh, hang on, that's not right. I mean, he basically has the moment that a lot of people have after being out in a nightclub the next morning. Thinks, what was thinks, I doing? She is not, this is, oh dear. I thought she was lovely, but now I've woken up and she's a big demon She's actually face. a demon. <laughs> anyway. We've all been there. <laughs> so he goes to the office to save his family. Yeah, and this is all pretty similar. This is very similar to the film, yeah. You've got Pinhead saying... Yeah, you had plans for this boy, hopes and dreams, a whole imagined future where you love him and watch him grow. And he basically says, I'll let you have your family back if you open this gateway to hell. Yeah. And John says, okay, fine. So then they run away. Yeah, then they run away from Pinhead. They send the little boy down in the lift, the elevator, and the wife starts getting chased by the chatter beast, who I must say is written quite well. It's quite scary. But there's no way <laughs> that it can be done. When, it, when he was writing this, there's no possible way they could have filmed this well no, there's, on the, the budget they had. The way it's written is like the Chatter Beast runs forwards, gaining 30 yards for every 10 yards that she gains. And he speeds around the corner, you know, athletically and all this kind of stuff. And you're just like, it sounds brilliant in a book. But in real life, you know that that's a man wearing fake legs running and it's just not going to work. Now, I've got a theory about this, because <laughs> this was a couple of years after Alien 3 came out, with the alien dog, or ox, depending on which version you saw, running along the walls on, on the ceiling and chasing after people on all fours. I, I reckon the writer saw that, really liked it, and so decided to do a Cenobite version of that. That's yeah. what I think. I think he had that in his mind. He thought, well, if they could do it, then I'm sure our guys can do it as well. I never thought about that, but perhaps you're right. <laughs> I th- I think that. But, unfortunately, he didn't realise that his film had much less of a budget than Alien 3. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah. So I think it might have come from that original idea. He thought, well, I've seen that in a film before, so I know that it can be done. But when he, he saw the original, when he saw the finished film of Bloodline, he probably thought, ah, oh, that's not quite how I pictured it. No. Because I've said it before, I'll say it again, the Chatter Beast looks awful in close-ups. <laughs> It looks like a big toy. It looks like a big plastic toy. <laughs> okay, so that's not good from the script. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Just... I like the, the long shots are fine. When it's running, it's great. But the close-ups, just... Sorry, bad. But when you, uh, the, the key thing to point out about the Chatter Beast is when you read the script, it does much more. And it sounds much more frightening. Yeah, it runs along the walls. It runs and it's it does doing all this, all this great stuff. Things. And in the film, until you see it in close-up, it's scary. That scene with the dove, when it, when it kills the dove... That's really scary, that little moment there. You think, what the hell is that thing? Mm. And then you see it and you go, all right, that's what it is. Yeah. Thanks. Right, so anyway, okay. we'll now get to the end of the present day section, which is very, very different 
in the film and the script. Mm-hmm. And the main difference is the script has a full story <laughs> and the film is the same thing, just chopped up so it doesn't make any sense. So you've basically got John being forced by Angelique, because she's got his son, yeah. to do use the controls. Use the computer. To use the computer. Create the, um, the gateway. Yeah, and Pinhead arrives and she, in that moment, says make the Elysium configuration instead because she wants to get rid of Pinhead. This is what we've yeah. kind of decided, doped out from this. Yeah, so looking at it, and we watched this, we watched it a couple of times, we read through the script, we watched the film a couple of times in this scene. This is what happens. In the film, he tries to turn on the Elysium configuration. It doesn't work. So Pinhead then kills him. Bobby turns up with the box. The box flies out of her hand... It's, I think it's supposed to be implying that she has solved it, but that's not really clear. It's not clear in the film, I don't think. No. It looks like he's taking it. It looks a little bit like Pinhead's grabbing it. Mm. But the box lands on the floor. The box grabs Angelique, pulls it towards her, and then explodes, and they all die. <laughs> or Angelique <laughs> and Pinhead get sucked into the box. That is what happens. That's all you see in the film. Mm. That's it. Whereas what actually happened, what's supposed to happen, and is in the original script, is she says, make the Elysian configuration... Pinhead turns up, and so he's trying to do it quickly, like in the film. The lights start, they're swirling around Pinhead, they're about to send him, you know, back to hell. They've established already that it will only last a few seconds, but that's that's all they need. Pinhead realises what's going on, so shoots a chain out of his mouth to the ceiling, and then flies up it like a spider. Angelique screams, no, as a lot of them do (laughs) in this script. Yeah. Then Pinhead grabs her with chains and is pulling her towards the Elysian configuration to kill her. But then it winks out, because it's only lasted its few seconds. So then, she's chained up on the floor, Pinhead then kills John, and then Bobby turns up, opens the box, and the box pulls Pinhead and Angelique back into hell. Yeah. If you watch the film knowing the script, you can kind of see which bits are from the original script, and I've no idea why they cut it, maybe they couldn't do the special effects of Pinhead flying up the chain. But it just doesn't make any sense when you see the film. No, and I think in terms of script writing, this is a good lesson in something that's slightly too complicated to be able to pull off. Like, the fact that he chains her, pulls her toward... Like, she does a double cross on him, and then he does a double cross on her, and then he pulls her towards the light, but just before she gets to the light, she starts to burn and then it goes out. It's all a little bit eggy for me. It is. And also, her motivation's not terribly clear either. No, they really don't give enough time to that. Why does she make him do the Elysian configuration? It must be because she wants to get rid of Pinhead. Yeah. She wants to get rid of Pinhead so that she can maybe rule hell again like she used to and get some clowns back. (laughs) But this is a great example of them simplifying other things needlessly. And then something that's actually, you're like, well, is it because she wants to rule hell again? Or is it because... Yeah, you never never know. Because she uses a couple of lines to explain a few of these bits. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Because then she's she's still like, kill kill the boy, kill the bloodline. So she wants the merchant sword to be killed, still. Yeah. Yeah, so a little bit confusing there. A little bit eggy in the script and pretty nonsensical in the film. But then Bobby has this speech to the little boy Jack, which is pretty good, which is where she says... You know, this box has to stay in our family. You must never get rid of it until the time is right when we or someone in our family works out how to use it. Yeah. So you've got this brilliant little speech there that really explains what's going on. You're like, wow, okay, we've gone through this whole journey with it. And then you're in space. Yeah, yeah. Now that is good. (laughs) Yes, it is. I would love that. (laughs) <laughs> if I hadn't have seen any of the space stuff before this point, I would just, at this point in the film, go, Whoa! Oh, a spaceship! <laughs> That's brilliant! Yeah. We'll tear your ears apart! But, and another really interesting thing, which you brought up just now watching it, is in the film, you get to this point, and it's really dull. Because yeah. you know for a fact, from now on, all you've got is this team of commandos going to be picked off one by one by the demons and something will happen at the end well that's it when in the scene where they just get gotten rid of pinhead and angelique you kind of have that ah oh, end of the film okay this has gone on long enough 
and then it starts again in this bloody grey room. Yeah. And you're like, all of these commandos have got to be killed, and Pinhead's got to be vanquished again. <laughs> oh my god, this is boring. Yeah, whereas in the <laughs> script, if, if the original script had been done as it's written, it would be a case of, oh, they've got rid of them back to hell, and then, oh my god, we're in space, what's going to happen now? Yeah, and you've got the an whole escalation. intrigue with what's happening here. And what is happening here is, different to the film, Paul Merchant is in space, that's the same, and he's the same guy, the architect. But he's got a, a person with him whose name is Corrine. Mm. Corrine Cotton. Ooh. Ooh. And she's basically the administrator of this facility that he's yeah. on. It's basically like an asteroid come spaceship. Come this is great. They should have done this. I mean, this is a really good idea. <laughs> yeah, it's basically the whole thing is made out of rock. It's been built in an asteroid. Yeah. And this all makes really good sense and is really mm. cool. Quite good sci-fi some, stuff. Yeah, some really good sci-fi stuff and he's basically set up all of these satellites all around to that are going to create the Elysian configuration so this is very interesting because he's basically got a bit of a partner in crime in Kareen who doesn't fully understand what he's doing but she's going with him and when he uses the cute little robot to open the (laughs) to open the box she sees Pinhead on the camera Mm -hmm. and she starts going okay I understand what's going on here now this hell are you doing this is really bad at this point, the government turn up, just the same. But it's great that she exists in the script, because she's the one, she's the reason why, you know, he explains what's happening. Yeah, she she's, says, what she's, the hell's she's that? And our says, point. Yeah, it's my family, and we did all this, and I'm going to get rid of them. Absolutely. And, and she believes him, because she's seen it happen. In the film, they've kind of smooshed her character in with Rimmer, basically. Yeah, yeah. The character of Rimmer in the film is kind of the, the Kareem slash one of the military people, yeah. basically. So she turns out to be the one who you're rooting for not to die in the film, even though you don't really care about her in the film because she's not really been in it very much. No. I think in the script it's a little bit more interesting because rather than just all being soldiers, but it's Rimmer who's also got who a liking for yeah. Paul and, and she's also like a scientist. Basically, in the script... You've got a few more different types of people. You've got like an advisor, an administrator, scientist, yeah. soldiers, one soldier who's like really tough, but she's mm-hmm. a woman, kind of yeah. tall, female. You know, you can see these interesting types in the film. It would have yeah, been, would have been interesting. So from now on, the, the whole slasher aspect of this bit of the film is pretty much the same. Pinhead makes them think there are kids in the room where they're being held captive. They go in and they get killed. The demons are loose. Angelique is there, but as we mentioned, well, just to each other, just watching the film just now, there's not really a reveal of Angelique in the film. She's just in the background. You're supposed to go, hang on, is that... That's Angelique, isn't it? Yeah, they don't make a big deal out of... I think in the script, it's much clearer that... it's like, Angelique's there, she's a Cenobite now. Yeah, she's actually been superseded by Pinhead, and she's now one of his soldiers. Yeah. You know, she had her chance to work with him, and now she's working for him, Mm -hmm. as he says. And we mentioned earlier on that the scene with the Siamese twins turning into the Siamese twin Cenobite is not in the script, but they are in the future section. They just turn up, and there's just no explanation as to how they were formed. Which I think is much better. Well, exactly. That's it's how it so should. It's much like more the first film, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you don't have to know about these how these people got made. This double-headed Cenobite turns up. <laughs> Brilliant. But yeah, in the film they have to have the twins. But it does kill the character in the same way in the script. It does. Which... The heads come apart. The bodies come apart. Go either side of him and come back together again, yeah, which is awful. It's not ideal in the film. Not ideal. That's bad. There's some slightly different gore, though. I mean, the, there's two characters going into the room to get the kids out, but the kids aren't there. And one of them, a piece of a metal fragment from the robot, actually flies out of the robot and slices his face off. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. But it is much the same this yep. now. Um, apart from that, in the film, they kind of chop and change it around a little bit. Yeah, they, they change some, some names of people and the order people get killed. The mirror scene is still there, with Angelique killing someone through a mirror. Mm-hmm. But in the film... That's the last time you see Angelique. Yeah, she just disappears. She disappears from the film. She's not in it anymore. It's just about Pinhead. Whereas in the script, she's, she's in it from there to the end. The end of the script, with Paul basically saying, I've got you now, I'm going to kill you all, has Pinhead, Angelique, and the Siamese twin Cenobite there. Yeah, which makes more sense. Mm. Um, it's a really good bit in that Corrine has to get out of there, and she yeah. 
jumps into an escape pod to yeah, escape so, the dog. Yeah, just like Rimmer in the film is running off to escape from the, the Chatter Beast. In the script, it's Corrine running away from the Chatter Beast. Yeah, so she gets into an escape pod. There's a cool stun yeah. bit with like flames coming out of the pod engines. And then she fires off. She's safe. Good. Yeah. Uh, Paul is left there. He has this great chat with Pinhead and Angelique and all of them. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he uses the hologram. Yeah, so the hologram is used, but not in the same way as the, as the finished film. No, he just disappears and then comes out in the same room from a different <laughs> corner, Yeah, which is slightly less exciting. He's basically just had them looking at a hologram of him the other side of the room, so he can turn on the Elysian configuration. Yeah, finish it off. Which he does. So the main difference here is he doesn't survive in the original script. No. The ending is less happy, I guess. Yeah. He, um... Corrine gets out. She's fine. She's safe. Mm-hmm. But he manages to distract them with a hologram just for enough time for him to start the Elysian configuration, which all these satellites, you know, spew their light over each other. And that creates a huge beam of light. This is in the script that shoots off into space and creates basically a black hole mm. that then sucks the minor station into it. Yeah. And that's great. That's great fun. Brilliant. No, it's pretty good. So yeah, Paul is in the space station with the demons as they all get sucked in to the black hole and killed. Yeah, I mean, Pinhead actually shoots a chain into him. Oh yeah, and then yeah, Paul that's great. Pulls Pinhead towards yeah. him, and they're both like embracing and wrestling. Yeah, as they both get sucked into this black that's hole. Brilliant, which is fantastic. And uh, then you get some kind of psychedelic strangeness <laughs> in this kind of place. And then the very end of the script is the box is left alone in the background in space. The camera tracks into the box until the black circle that dominates one of its faces fills the screen and then tracks out of the box, extreme close-up on the box, in Le Merchant's workroom back in the 18th century. Back to the beginning of the film, Genevieve comes in. Is it done? He says, done. Cut to black, credits. Yay! And that's a really, you know, smart ending, I think. It is. It's a really nice, neat ending. Yeah, I like that. So, there we go. I think we're going to wrap it up quickly because we have been talking quite a while about this. Mm. But basically, the script is really good and really interesting. And I don't know why they made some of the choices they made. Some of them were maybe to do with budget, you know, thinking about the clown Cenobites, possibly. But that scene at the end of the present day section we talked about, that could have been a lot clearer in the finished film. And it really isn't. Yes, it could have been a lot clearer. And I think sometimes when you make these decisions to save money... Mm. You just really end up neutering the whole end product completely. And there's no point in saving money if the end product is just going to be like nothing like it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, I agree. You know, it's uh, some interesting decisions they made there, not for the better, unfortunately. But what I will say is if you get a chance to look at the script, if you haven't already, then something that I put on Twitter, um, if you look at the script and imagine the 1700 section, picture it looking like the film Perfume which is a brilliant film, which you should all see. It's really good. That's what how that section should look like, I think. The middle section, the present-day section, should look like a David Fincher film, like Seven or Fight Club. And the future section should look like the first Alien film. So if you picture them looking like those films, really gritty and realistic, then that would be an amazing film. And picture all the acting done really well. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's something that you can't really see when you watch the film. No. Apart from the notable exceptions, of course. Yeah, what, August? Doug Bradley. Doug Bradley, of course. Come on. I just, felt, I just felt really bad for him then, all of a sudden, because I was like, oh. Well, I, I felt bad for him watching the film, though. <laughs> because oh. there's all these sections where he's wandering around, walking around slowly, and it's like he doesn't know what he's doing. And it's, I mean, it's not his fault. It's because of the way that it's been chopped and changed from the original script but it looks like Pinhead doesn't know what he's doing there, there is a really good bit I must just quickly say this um, if you can see the work print scenes the bit with the Elysium configuration in the modern day bit where <laughs> Pinhead is slowly walking towards John yeah. and she's going quick do it and he's tapping away on the keyboard and there's all these progress bars going up <laughs> and like Pinhead's still slowly walking away just imagine that with John just standing there going it's nearly loaded Come on. It's nearly, oh, it's crashed. Hang on. I, I've got it. Oh, a pop-up. Oh, porn pop-up. Get rid of it. And Pinhead's still really slowly walking towards him. I just love it. It's just so yeah. stupid. <laughs> yeah. 
So in summary, do read the script because it's it's really good. It's re- yes, it's very interesting to see the differences, and it does improve the film as well. I must say, yeah, when you know what it should be doing, <laughs> you can watch the film and and enjoy it more. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Don't forget our Hellraiser podcast at hotmail.co.uk address and Twitter at hellraisercast, website hellraiserpodcast.com, and our Facebook page. And we will see you all very shortly with our next podcast, which is going to be about... We're going to go back to the comics. We're going to talk about the epic comics, books three, four, and five. So thank you all again, and we'll see you very soon. Take care. Goodbye for now. Bye. Bye.